Hello and welcome to the first episode of Full Time, a new podcast from The Athletic about women's soccer. I'm Meg Linehan. I'm a staff writer for The Athletic covering the U.S. Women's National Team, NWSL, women's soccer in general. I'm going to be your host. You might have realized that from uh, the name of this podcast, Full Time with Megan Linehan. Uh, But it's not just going to be me every week. I really hope, I really am going to try to promise you that up front. So this is a women's soccer podcast, and I'm already doing all this work for The Athletic, right? So we're expanding our coverage of the U.S. Women's National Team, of the NWSL, of the world of women's soccer. And I'm ready to dig into the culture, the context, and the conversations really around the sport, how it's growing, what it means, the value of this game. So originally, we were hoping to launch this podcast back in April. We were supposed to have a full regular, you know, regular season, and then instead a pandemic hit. So it's actually more important than ever to get this coverage going to to expand how we talk about women's soccer. And I'm super excited that we're finally launching this and actually like getting it going. So Hence the title of this podcast, Full Time. Obviously, you know, we have the soccer reference that's kind of obligatory for a soccer podcast, but also I am a full-time writer in women's soccer, and there are not a lot of us, particularly in America. So I'm really happy to uh, make that promise to you about the full-time coverage of women's soccer here and its, its place at The Athletic. Now, finally, before we actually get into this first episode, I have a couple of quick thoughts about the format. Again, this is my first time really hosting a podcast. I, I dabbled a little bit last summer in France for the World Cup, did not know what I was doing, still maybe don't quite know what I'm doing, but have some help along the way. But really, this whole thing isn't really locked in quite yet. So we might have an episode or two where it's just me. I'm really, really hoping that's not the case, but I'm fully committed to bringing in my coworkers at The Athletic to talk about bigger stories that we're all working on, plus interviews and conversations from people around the league, players, my fellow media from the world of NWSL and the U.S. national team, and and maybe hopefully around the world. Either way, I feel like my brand as a person, right, you're listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan, my brand is well, beyond getting asked when the NWSL schedule is going to come out. We've had three of them so far in 2020, and I'm now happy to report that all three of them are actually out. Um, My brand is trying to embrace the nuance of a story to tell these big feature stories, and that's certainly not going to change here. Mostly, I'm just really happy to get this going. And I hope if you enjoy it, that you subscribe and you listen and you leave us a rating or a review, tell your friends, all that kind of good stuff. You know the drill. You've listened to podcasts before. All right. So for full disclosure, we're recording this part of the podcast on Wednesday. It's already been a very busy week in the world of women's soccer. Things can change any at any time. So in the next 12 hours from uh, when we record this to when we post it, something else could change. But here's the latest as of right now. Obviously, everyone's focus is on the NWSL Challenge Cup. That first game of the tournament kicks off Saturday, June 27th, 1230 Eastern. That game is on CBS, big CBS, between Portland Thorns FC and the reigning back-to-back champions, everyone's favorite squad, the North Carolina Courage. Um, Again, if you're in the U.S., you can tune in on CBS. It's also streaming on CBS All Access. And notably, it's the first time we've ever really gotten a domestic women's club game on a major broadcasting channel like a CBS. So big win for the NWSL there. Now, 
with all that good news <laughs> aside, we have had some major changes to this tournament. Last Thursday, we got the first positive COVID result from an NWSL player uh, in the league. The league announced that they did not reveal the team at the time. By the time Monday rolled around, the Orlando Pride, one of the the league's nine teams, had withdrawn entirely from the tournament. That's because they were up to a total of 10 results across the team, Uh, six players, four staffers. Technically, the breakdown is three positives for players, three inconclusive results for players. But ultimately, what it really came down was is not only just the sheer number of cases, but they wouldn't have been able to take a full roster to Utah to play in the Challenge Cup. Um, obviously that, that created a lot of change in terms of the actual tournament itself. Uh, rosters were held for the day and a new schedule had to be made for the preliminary rounds. Now all eight teams will proceed to the knockouts. At the heart of this, uh, pride situation is as, as I reported here on the athletic, a trip to a bar. It actually turns out there are likely multiple trips to a bar. So fundamentally, The league is still pretty confident about the tournament itself, but obviously there are big questions in terms of how effective this bubble will be in Utah throughout the tournament, the testing protocols, all of that sort of stuff. So it's going to be a story that we're watching for sure. The one other big news thing that I want to bring to your attention is on Thursday, the day that we're actually releasing the first episode of this podcast, FIFA is set to meet for a FIFA council meeting and the big ticket on the day is deciding where the 2023 Women's World Cup is. There are two bids still in the running, and it might get interesting. So Australia and New Zealand have a joint bid in place. They have uh, basically really put together a great bid. It got the highest ratings on the technical evaluation report. The other bid is from Colombia, and there are questions about just the, the fundamental resources at play here. Either way, uh, we're going to find out at some point today on Thursday where we're going for the 2023 World Cup. So our first interview as part of Full Time with Meg Linehan, my my first interview for this podcast was Allie Krieger of the Orlando Pride. Now, as a full disclaimer, we recorded this interview. She actually took time out of her weekend on Sunday to talk to us for about 20 minutes about how she decided to play in the Challenge Cup, what she thought uh, was in store for the Orlando Pride, and then obviously within 24 hours, things had pretty drastically changed for Allie Krieger and the Pride. We still think this interview is really, really great and really interesting, and we actually think it, it makes a very interesting case of what should have been for the Orlando Pride in this tournament, but Allie also touches on some other really big topics that I didn't want to get lost. Um the way that she's been using her platform to highlight Black voices and Black Lives Matter, the visibility around the Challenge Cup, how players can take advantage of that, and then also her work with the Athletes Council for U.S. Soccer and and her expectations, I guess, for, for players moving forward in the year 2020. So here's Allie and our interview from Sunday. So just wanted to start off, you know, obviously we're now a few weeks in to knowing that this is happening, right? coming to terms with the fact that we're going to have soccer in the middle of a pandemic. So just kind of curious, like when, when you got notification of, okay, NWSL wants to play in this tournament, was it an email? Was it a call? What's that first reaction that you're going through with like, oh, we are going to play soccer this summer? Yeah. Um, 
it was it was a call because we had weekly calls or almost daily calls every other day with our club team because we were just preparing for the season right we were just like okay whenever the season gets back up um and so we would have like calls twice a week just to go over like tactics and you know just to stay prepared and also just to give us something to do and then that was during the time that we were quarantined like at home and we couldn't go anywhere um and so that was like nice to have that, but it was a, it was like one of those meetings that they had like brought it up. And then of course we spoke to our agent and um, they had kind of heard word about it. So then, you know, we were kind of more aware that this would potentially be a thing. And, and then when we found out about like it being in Utah um, on turf, I was just like, at the beginning, I was like, you guys, like that in itself to play on turf should be reason enough not to go. Um, because it just like, it just is like going against everything that we've been fighting for, for the past gosh, ever. Yeah. And so, um, and to have that, you know, kind of be talked about potentially playing on turf, that would just, it just like, wasn't great. My feeling, if I'm honest, I, I was like, this is so, this is so wild. Like, why are we all, you know, now I'm sitting in quarantine and like, they're potentially assuming that things are going to be fine like in a month or two and like, it's just going to go away. Like there's a, like a worldwide pandemic going on. Like I, I just don't see this is going to be safe. Right. Um, and then, you know, throughout this process, obviously things have kind of been lifted eventually. And, um, you know, we got into team training we went from phase one, phase two, phase three, you know, now we're playing against each other. And so it's been like, it's been great to get back out there. But I was always hopeful that instead of having a tournament, we would have our league. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess they had said, you know, because we're unsure of like what's going to happen in the fall, maybe there's like a second wave. And I'm like, well, then why should, <laughs> then why are we doing anything now? Um, so these are kind of the things obviously where, you know, it's, it's, if I'm honest, it's just tough to answer. Um, I feel okay about it just because I don't know what the future holds and I don't know if we're ever going to play this year and I want to play. I want, I miss it. And so I'm trying to do everything I can to prepare myself just for these games and to enjoy it. And I love it so much. So, and I lo absolutely love club and, and I, and I miss playing like everyone else. So I feel like if they're doing everything they can to keep it safe and to continue to check, um, you know, with, with the nose swabs and making sure we're testing, making sure everything's sanitized, making sure we're kind of safe in these hotels or these dorms, you know, they're providing all, you know, a lot of these answers, which is more comforting than how I felt in the beginning. Right. I mean, it does really seem like having been reporting on this from, you know, the jump, really, the fact that protocols weren't just even sent to you guys, right? It was also publicly available, right? It, it does feel like a little bit of a brand new era in NWSL where there is proactive planning, there is uh, public transparency. And I'm, I'm just kind of curious to see if that also helped sway you into, okay, yes, I'm, I'm ready to make that commitment. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. There's still some questions that haven't been answered. So I'm hoping that we'll get that before we leave Wednesday um, or as we're in the, you know, in uh, the quote unquote village. Um, I hate to say that because we're not going to the Olympics. Right. Um, but besides the point, um, you know, we're going to be in a safe space. And so that's kind of why they wanted to, you know, mention that and make sure that everyone felt comfortable because you will be kind of like 
in these dorms or in these hotels and you're stuck there and you're going to have to like say, for example, Instacart stuff, you're not allowed to leave, like all these things. So my, my hope was that we would get on board with the rest of the world and have a league from August to May. Mm-hmm. And we would just have two, you know, two games against each opponent, one home, one away. And I know that, you know, weather permitting and FIFA dates and things like that, but I think we would draw so many more players. And this was just the perfect time from Europe. And this was just a perfect time for us to get on track with, with everyone else in the world. And I just, I hope that they're eventually thinking that way and maybe developing a new model. Just like you mentioned, there's kind of a new era with NWSL. It's kind of like, why not have these, you know, um, uh, topics brought brought to the table and let's like have a discussion and continue to talk about what we can potentially change and make better. Right. Um, and I think that would be cool. And and this was like, you know, when the virus hit, I was like, maybe they're thinking about, you know, potentially changing our league and maybe, I don't know, adjusting it. Mm-hmm. And so we'll see. Um, obviously I'm not sure how they're thinking, but um, cause after this, it's like, what do we do? Really? Right. What do we do? Yeah. And, and I don't think that there's scary. an answer for that yet. It's really, yeah. you know, we're, we're kicking that decision down, uh, down the road a couple of months and we'll, we'll figure out what, you know, by the end of July looks like maybe. Exactly. Then. Right. And it's, and that's why I think a lot of players just want to play because they don't know what's going to happen. So that's why I think a lot of us are really into it and, and hoping for the best. Right. All right, so let's move into a more Orlando-centric point of view. Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, change when it comes to the roster. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just kind of curious as to what your vibe is heading into this sort of, you know, a tournament format also, I think, benefits everyone in kind of interesting and different ways. So I'm just kind of curious as to what the conversations have been like at training, what the vibe is like amongst the team, Um, you know, just kind of there has been a lot of change in Orlando. Yeah, it's been awesome. Like, honestly, I am so much happier because I look to, you know, my left or my right, and I have, like, Allie Riley, I have Sonnet, um, you know, Tony Presley, Shalina Zadorsky, and we have, like, a solid backline. We have Aaron McLeod that came in, um, you know, obviously Ashlyn, and we just have these, these, these solid defenders now that I feel like I can just take a breath. <laughs> Uh, if I'm honest, and I, and I feel so confident, and I love playing with Sonny. I think, you know, obviously we train together with the national team every day. So it's just, like, normal. It, it was just – it was seamless. So I feel like she just brings that type of confidence in the back line that we needed um, to feel a little bit more safe. And then having Allie Riley and her experience um, through, you know, Europe, uh, playing over there and bringing it here into this league and just being an all-around amazing person and – and, and, and really good player for us is going to be crucial. So I was so happy to like start the season because, you know, it's just exciting that we are filling those holes that we really needed to fill over the past few years. And um, defensively, I feel so strong and, and really confident. So I'm hoping that in this tournament, we're just going to be able to execute and um, really demand a lot out of these players and, and hopefully perform really well um, in the back line. And then, you know, obviously you have Marta and Emily and Sid is back fully mm-hmm. fit. I mean, she's incredible. I'm, I'm watching her in training. I'm like, I see little bits and pieces or, or many bits and pieces of the, of, of Sydney LaRue when she was, you know, thriving in her prime time years. And, 
and before the babies. So I'm just like, she's back. And it's just so nice. Um, Obviously, we're missing Alex, you know, but um, uh, people are really filling those holes. And then our new players, our rookies and our first round draft pick, I mean, it's just, it feels good. And it feels like we're really building a team and we're really focused, even though it's been really tough times, we're, we're actually really working hard. And I like in the middle of our uh, games or scrimmages, I'm kind of like, wow, like this is so much better than it was. Uh, so I just, I just really hope we can, we can show that, yeah. um, you know, coming up this month. Right. And I just I think about, you know, watching. Were you watching the draw show that was on CBS uh, HQ? I, right. What did you. OK, wait, let me ask you a question. <laughs> okay, this is okay. your show, but like, was it random? Was it a random draw? I, I had some tweets I about that. I had some tweets about that because, I mean, just thinking about the setup of of Portland, North Carolina on day one seemed a little a little interesting to me, you know, getting a Portland uh, rain game seemed a little interesting to me. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's not quite as crazy as maybe the MLS format is, but is it random? I, I'm well, willing to entertain was, some conspiracy theories. <laughs> yeah, sorry to interrupt, but I, <laughs> I was expecting like a Champions League type World Cup draw where you, you know, yeah, yeah. put your hand in the balls and you pick it out and you get the random, right? Honestly, when I saw the envelopes, like, tidied up, sealed, signed, sealed, delivered right on the counter, like, perfectly placed, like, I guess NBA does the same, I was just like, I don't really know if that's random, but I'm assuming we're last. Let me just throw that out there. And And then Orlando gets the number nine spot, right? Surprise. Yes. And, um, you know, I mean, honestly, we we were last, you know, last place, so I... We assumed, but uh, I, I don't necessarily know if that was quite random. Okay, so <laughs> I, you know what? I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah. But when okay, so we're going through the draw. You get the number nine spot. Also, like we don't, we get like the opening matchup kind of question mark, and yeah. then like you know, eventually the rest of the the matches actually get released online a number of hours later. Like but, hours later. Yeah. <laughs> but you have matchups with Chicago. North Carolina, yeah. Portland, and a pretty revamped Sky Blue, right? So it's not, this is not an easy four easy. games in the preliminary. So what are you thinking when you're, when you're approaching this preliminary round? Um, you know, obviously take, like always, take one game at a time. We, we are just have been focusing on Chicago, um, you know, this, these entire two weeks or ever since we found out, like that is our priority. Um, and, you know, we always actually do well against Chicago. So I'm hoping well, that'll be consistent. Um, coming up and you know it is what it is you have in order to lift the trophy you got to beat everyone so there's seven games so we're basically playing everyone but what two um mm-hmm. or, or one so I mean it is what it is you want to beat the Portland's of the world you want to beat the North Carolina's of the world any chance you get um we've only done it I think twice in the past um and that's that's like a huge game for us but also you have to be strategic with how you play and your personnel because you have to rest certain players at certain times. And so there's this whole strategy behind it that not many people realize um, that you have to do in order to last the seven game tournament. Um, And so you just take one game at a time. And, um, you know, unfortunately we're every three days 
a few of us are used to that because we've been in tournaments that, you know, you play every three days and it's really tough on your body. It's, I don't know if people really realize that, but it's so tough on your body. And then you add turf into the mix, but fortunately everyone's in the same boat. Mm -hmm. Honestly, no one has any advantage over anyone else at this point. So I feel really confident about it. I want to play the best, the best players. I want to play the best teams. And I think that's everyone's mentality going into this tournament. If it's not, you might as well not show up. Right. You know, yeah. and there's, so, there's also the benefit of eight teams are going to advance into that knockout round. Right. So right. it's really like odds are with most teams. Right. But yeah. also just ensuring that you just make it in. And then as much like any tournament form for uh, format, really anything can happen. Absolutely. And, and we have a new team this year. We have, we have, you know, a handful of new players. So a lot of teams don't really know what to expect out of us. All right. All right. So let's move off of Challenge Cup. I want to talk to you about a couple other yeah. topics. But, you right. know, Orlando, um, the team, the entire team just went to visit Pulse, right, this month. Mm-hmm. And I'm just kind of curious as to, um, you know, I think it's been a very different Pride Month for, for me and my wife, right? Um, yeah. It's It's yeah. been a very different vibe. So I'm just kind of curious how you're approaching this month, what you're what you're trying to do in terms of reflecting on on how, I guess, a lot of our, our um, identities intersect and can support each other. Yeah, totally. Um, I thought this, you know, when um, the court has now declared, you know, to um, that it's illegal to fire the employees because of, um, you know, your sexuality is, is, was a huge win for us. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was something that I think was, um, a bonus coming out of this, this past month, but, but obviously it was monumental and a huge step, uh, forward. Uh, there's obviously so much work to be done because, you know, there's 14 trans lives that, you know, um, that died in 2020 already and, um, because of violence against them. So, I just feel like we have to change the system and it's so important to continue to do the work and especially, you know, not, not to stay quiet. And especially as a white, white person or a white female, it's important that, you know, we, we pass the mic to black voices um, to just listen to their experiences and, you know, they're, they're highly skilled to speak, um, you know, to the world right now. On, on how they feel and, uh, and the violence against them and, and just the oppression and the systemic racism that's going on. So it's kind of all intertwined because it's all, um, you know, it's all racial inequality. So it's been really important for us to use our platforms to speak up on these topics that we don't necessarily always talk about. And I feel like I have just lended my platform um, to a lot of black voices in in the black community that has been super important um, to listen to and to educate ourselves um, to be uh, actively anti-racist and not just not racist. So I feel like I've bought books um, I've tried to take action. I've made phone calls um, and not necessarily constantly posting things online, but taking action in our own community here in Orlando. So Ash and I are, you know, kind of coming up with plans to um, get people to vote come November and making sure everyone is registered um, and then talking to our government officials here and making sure that, you know, we continue to fight um, for uh, racial justice in our, you know, our own town and city. Um, and we're kind of doing our small part. So 
it's so important for us to use our platforms, even you know, as players in the NWSL, to really speak up and, and use the NWSL platform um, to reach even more people, um, to start supporting black lives. And yeah, and, and continue to educate ourselves to understand um, what's really going on. Right. Um, and to educate our kids in the future. And, and it's just um, super important. So we've wanted to try to do do that as much as we can this month. Yeah, no, I, I definitely am in the same boat of just, okay, social media is great, right? And and yeah. it, that's not where it ends, right? It's not just, right. you know, doing your, your daily tweet or even your daily donation. It's what else are you adding into the mix. So yeah, I think everybody's kind of going through that right at the moment. Um, I mean, you also were involved in the Athletes Council, right? Like in terms of U.S. soccer repealing the anthem policy, which I think was a thing that that had to happen in order for actual action to then come from the Federation. You have to get that rule off the books. So just kind of curious as to, you know, what the conversations were like within the Athletes Council on on making sure, obviously, you know, it kind of impacted the U.S. women's national team a little bit more than it did the men's national team. But, um, you know, what was the process like in in the Athletes Council coming together, making that statement and then seeing the actual repeal happen? Yeah, it was actually such a swift um, action because we had an immediate phone call with everyone in the, in the athlete council and we added in um, black voices as well that weren't necessarily in the athletes council because, you know, all of us are white. Mm-hmm. And there were a few comments about that with the athletes count on, on Twitter when I had posted that and I'm like, I, I understand, but that's why this is important that we stand up even taller and speak up because we are white and this is going to be more powerful coming from a group of individuals that are trying to change, you know, the 70 year old um, board of director that's sitting up on a white board of director that's sitting up on U.S. soccer federation and, 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 you know, not understanding why we want to appeal this. So, and fighting for that change. So it was really important. We had a phone call, we were constantly texting in our group and we came to, you know, a conclusion that something needed to be out, a statement needed to be presented like that night, like right away, as soon as possible, because um, we're not all free until everyone is free and until black lives are free. And my teammates deserve that. And we all deserve that feeling of, um, you know, feeling free and happy when we're playing, especially for our employer. And I think that was really important and a huge step for U.S. soccer to um, appeal that or repeal that, excuse me. So we it was it was pretty swift that evening. Um, it just kind of came together um, that that day that it came out the statement. That was when everything happened. We had a phone call and text messages and going back and forth. So. Challenge Cup gives you a platform, right? We're, we're going to have a couple games on national television, right? A major broadcast yeah. station for the first time. Um, it is really the first, you know, we're going to get into this debate of NWSL kind of being forgotten, but it is the first pro contact league back, all that kind of stuff. We have the platform of the U.S. national team. Do you see, are you hopeful that, that this is going to get used in a way that is has not necessarily been as productive as it has in the past? Yeah, absolutely. I think we have to use our NWSL platform in order to create change because um, creating change, you can't just stay in your lane, right? Um, and also, you have to, if people feel uncomfortable or players feel uncomfortable, um, then that is when change will be created because you shouldn't ever feel like 
comfortable when these topics are being, you know, spoken about and, um, you know, talked on the surface. So I feel like when you are uncomfortable, then you're able to, you know, change and educate yourself and learn more and grow in the direction that we need to grow in in order to um, dismantle this system, uh, white supremacy. And it starts with us as individuals and then also team collective and then a group for the NWSL as a league. And, and it's super important to reach so many more people on you know a platform with NWSL when CBS is now involved. And so I really hope that um, and I know for a fact that everyone is in support of this um, and making sure that we, you know, make a statement uh, during this time, especially being the first um, sports, you know, sports teams back uh, to live sports, which is, is an amazing opportunity um, for us to, to take over that, that uh, space and, and that opportunity for, for us and platform. Yeah. Um, because we'll reach so many more people than just individually doing it on our own. And I think it's, it's so important for us to come together um, as a collective and create change. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a perfect place to leave it. So good luck in Utah. Thanks. Hopefully safe travels. Hopefully the nasal swabs get slightly less yeah. painful. No, maybe <laughs> they'll just start swabbing the little, you know, just like the tip part. <laughs> You know, All right. I'm like, uh, we'll <laughs> All right. See. Well, thank you, Allie. Thank you for the time. Super appreciate it. And uh, we'll all be watching. All right. Thank you, guys. Bye. And again, thank you to Allie for her time. Again, she she spoke to us on a weekend. We super appreciate it. And obviously things have changed. And we're we're just really thinking of Allie and everyone at the Orlando Pride, both their their physical and mental health. Um, to shift gears a little bit, there was another interview that I really wanted to have in this first episode, another reporter from the world of NWSL, women's soccer, women's sports in general, Bria Felician, uh, came on to talk to us about her most recent work for the NWSL. Um, she wrote a great article for All for 11 about black players training uh, over the past month leading up to the Challenge Cup as all of the protests and kind of this intersection of sports and race is coming to a very different spot. So here's our talk with Bria. So I wanted to start with you, um, your work for All for 11, right? Uh, the article that you wrote about black players trying to deal with training for Challenge Cup while the country is in the state that the country is in. And I'm just, if you could walk us through, you know, the conversations that you had with players, what they're thinking about, how they're preparing for Challenge Cup when, you know, it's not just a pandemic anymore, right? Like there's there's other issues at play, especially for a, a certain section of, of the players that actually have to go to Utah. I think the biggest thing I think even going into the conversations was I was worried about like re-traumatizing people, um, especially because I haven't, like the way I work, we don't really, like I cover soccer, but not the end of yourself because there's no team in Atlanta yet. But I think... What I was, I was really worried about traumatizing people because the last story I did before this was like talking about black players and their like um, just how hard, basically how hard it is to be a black play, soccer player in America. So that was my big, the biggest worry going in. But the players, they were actually like wanting to talk about how they're feeling because it's just there's not that many people to talk to. What it's like going to work, it's like not that many people to talk to. But um, I think going in. Um, Darian Jenkins was very like, 
and Taylor Smith, they both were like very, they're ready to educate people. They're very, very ready for change. And I thought that was like the most interesting aspect of the conversation because I was torn. I was personally like, I don't want to educate anybody. People got to figure it out on their own. I'm tired. But they kind of opened my eyes to like, well, we're here now. Like, well, how can we, what is, what, can, what part can we play in this? So I thought that was really like, they, they helped me a lot in, in not only that, but how can I be better on, in my, in my personal life of like many issues that I've may say that I'm an advocate for where I'm not necessarily an advocate enough. So that the conversations with them were very like therapeutic for me too, because I was going through the same things, having to go back to work, but virtually, but I also found it interesting that it wasn't all the trauma and everything wasn't affecting them physically because I thought it would be for me. I think it's, it's different for everybody, but for me, I was kind of like, how are you like getting up and like being a professional athlete right now? And they're just like, right. I mean, I'm tired, but it's, I guess the enjoyment of soccer is also obviously a thing as well. So yeah, it's very, it's been, it's, it was, that was very interesting. I learned a lot working on that story. Yeah. I, I think I had a somewhat similar experience just with doing the round table with us women's national team players. And, and, you know, I went into that at, trying to say like, okay, I want to talk to white players to be like, what are you doing? to make this environment better. And instead, really, the players decided the format of it. Like, I did not actually have a lot of input on how that article came to be. They said, we're going to talk to you. Here's who's going to be on this phone call. You can ask questions, but this is how we want it to look. And it was really funny because both Becky Sauerbrunn and I kind of got low-key called out in the middle of that phone call. And, and players were like, you don't stop apologizing for like trying to ask us questions. Like we actively want you to ask us questions. We are engaged in this conversation with you of our own free will. And I think like I, I went into my story the same way being like, I don't want to, I don't want to be a burden. I don't want to force them to educate people that they don't need to spend that time on. Like we got to come collect our own. And then instead it really did turn into like, we need to be having this conversation together. And I, I did like, I came out of that, article as well, feeling much more like, no, I need to, I need to have this conversation with as many people as possible, no matter, you know, where that conversation is happening. And I think that's a big thing I've learned through the, like the, it's crazy, but like through, I've learned through like the process of writing and editing that article was like, everybody has a place that they need to grow in. Like it's even me. Like every single person is like, oh, how are we making sure like all black people are free right now? Like, right. It's like not just about straight black men or straight cis black men. It's like, are we how are we helping making sure black trans women are protected, black gay people? Like, how are we like and then not just saying it and thinking that, but how am I like actively challenging the people in my life? And I think all of that, uh, I wish, I think it was a Michelle Alexander article and she was just saying like everyone has an obligation no matter who you are to like understand how we got here. And I think I've been mm -hmm. reading and listening to a lot of articles and I think one, this book, oh my goodness, I wish I would have recommended it because I recommended a book to Daria <laughs> to read, but it's called Hood Feminism by Mickey. Yeah, I know. I can see the cover. Yeah, and that book was so good, but she was also, she had a talk um, that she did in this book club and it was just talking about like how you can like work with the people you care about to make things better and not necessarily using the energy on people that you know are just like 
just not worth it. But I yeah. already started doing that in my personal life. And I'm like, okay, the baby steps are there. It is overwhelming at first though. Cause you're like, there's so much I don't know. And I just need to be better. Mm-hmm. But like, calm down one thing at a time. So yeah, that yeah. journey, yeah. it's only been like two weeks, but that journey is, it's like, I'm yeah. loving it so far. <laughs> yeah. I still think about what Katie Nolan did on Twitter with Carly Lloyd. I thought that was a really interesting thing of like, I might be a couple steps ahead of you on this journey, but it's my job to get you up to my speed. And then like, okay, we have to then take it, you know, those next steps together. But if I'm ahead of you on this journey, how do I bring you up to my speed? And so that way that falls on me to do. And that's, that's really been one of the things that's kind of been rattling around in my head since I, I, I don't even know how long ago that was at this point, because time has ceased to have all meaning, but yeah. yeah all right so we have this this backdrop right of players prepping i think for the rain especially right for for players like darian jenkins and and um taylor smith they're in montana which seems like it's also a weird vibe um to be training in montana as opposed to seattle right like it's a very different situation i'm just kind of curious did they speak to you about what it's like to be in essentially like it seems like rural Montana instead of a major city as this is happening. Well, they just said it was weird. Um, I think I talked to them maybe like a couple days after they got there and it seemed mm-hmm. like all just in general, not specifically Montana, but it was all kind of chaotic because they were supposed to be going to Utah and then they ended up in Montana. And then like there's all these changes like with the actual like oil rain and versus like the rain before. So we didn't like I was shocked at first, but we didn't necessarily talk about Montana itself. Mm-hmm. But it seemed just like chaotic in general. And that's just not even like pandemic. Well, the pandemic too, but pandemic and then the other pandemic. It was just like they have a lot of chaotic energy, <laughs> or at least they did that first week. Um, right. But we didn't talk about necessarily Montana. Um, but I, I think, I think what, I can't remember who it was, but they were like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, we're in Montana. It was kind of the vibe on social media of like, it's Montana. <laughs> but the, <laughs> like, I think I, I want to say Darian kind of, she was like, she grew up in Utah. So she kind of like mm. understood, but I didn't, I didn't know before. I, I don't know why I thought she grew up in California, but I didn't know before we were talking that she grew up in Utah and I'm like, wow, okay. So she's definitely prepared. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think right at the moment, you know, I, I feel like I've been having a lot of conversations around the league, um, what Allie said um, in the earlier interview for this podcast there really is this energy and also uh, I think an awareness from the league itself that things are going to happen within the space of the Challenge Cup, that players are going to use this platform in a way that, you know, we have seen in the past and have it, it has not gone over well. And I think that part of it, like, you know, the floodgates are open now, right? Where do you see the platform of the Challenge Cup in this larger discussion? I mean, like, you know, obviously Bundesliga, Premier League all coming back. There have been a lot of things happening, but is there something specific to NWSL that you think might change the conversation a little bit? I think just the fact that it's women, because I think that is lost on uh, on not even just like actual like being athletes, but like women being represented in like social the the work that women do in social justice arenas. I think that is by itself going whatever the whatever the players do whether they take a knee or like anything I think that just the women being like represented and being allowed to 
use their platforms is going to, however it's received, is going to be like, I think that is going to open at least the eyes of some in terms of like, women are affected by this. Women are always working to change things, whether they're given like, whether they are like recognized for it. Um, but I think that's like our job in like the mainstream job to like amplify that. But I think mm -hmm. just the, the pure existence of them on, which is probably what uh, Lisa Barrett was trying to do. She was like, look, I'm trying to put us in the front. But I think just right. the pure like representation of women in, in a league coming back so soon is like just the, the imagery itself is, a, is big. But how everyone else reacts to it, I'm actually very curious about that. Like, are, yeah. is it going to be erased? Like, it has been, like, the last couple weeks, like, just acting like it's not even coming back. Is that going to happen? But I am, I'm curious about that, too, especially because so many players, like, all like so, just so many black players, but also, like, Kelly O'Hara talking about her podcast. Like, so many players are, like, either coming back to using their voices before, whether they were shut down before, or they just didn't feel comfortable. Um, just, I think... There's a new energy. I think people are calling out mm -hmm. people who weren't comfortable before calling out things that they've been like they're fed up about. So, yeah, yeah, no, that's and, you know, I think you as another person that has obviously covered WNBA, right? I think that is another league where you kind of look to. And I mean, I think the most viral tweet I've ever had was actually about WNBA and the the black women of the WNBA using their platform to call attention to to police brutality and you know like all of that sort of stuff and all i wrote in that tweet was like don't overlook them right and i think that's kind of the question of if they use this platform is it going to be recognized with them using the platform i'm like a person with like no hope or faith in like the general public understanding uh not understanding just accepting women and like respecting women but i do think there's like a different energy right now. So like ever, there is a different energy right now. So I think maybe if it's like, even if it's like 5% of a difference, I think that still is a big enough deal, like a cause of like celebration, like, um, because it does, it's not all going to change overnight. Cause we, we do know that. But, um, I think also I'm interested cause the WBA had growing, I would say growing pains, but like, you know how they find the players in 2016 and the players are like, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I could say on here, but like, <laughs> what the hell? Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm inevitably going to curse on this podcast, so <laughs> it's only a matter of time. It has not happened yet. It is only a matter of time. So I am interested, though. I think it being the pandemic as well, like that, the coronavirus pandemic has impacted the way people are receiving it. So I am mm -hmm. interested in how the NWSL responds to whatever players do, because naturally they were able to learn to see. 2016 and all the the fails there also aren't current fails in terms of like lgbtq um within the league but i'm just interested to see how they react to it um and what how are they react to what players do whether it's like a surprise to them or what because it's all i feel like it's all new i mean i've only been here for like two years but i do feel like it's very new yeah there's one specific thing that i wanted to talk to you about crystal dunn has kind of decided she's got like one primary issue, right? Had this whole statement of a tweet and it really revolves around the way that we talk about black athletes, right? 
I keep thinking about the 2019 World Cup <laughs> and the way that we talk about Africa teams and I should say like the completely unsophisticated way that generally people talk about teams from Africa. But like the big focus is what we kind of unfortunately just call pace and power, right? I'm curious, like obviously that's her target. Um, both of us are in the NWSL Media Association. That was something that um, immediately got brought up in our Slack to be like, wh- how do we, is it just an awareness thing for us? Is it like, can we actually put some action behind this? But I'm just kind of curious, like there's obviously written media, there's podcasts, there's broadcasts. Like personally, I think broadcast is like the area on this front, just because that is the most forward facing thing. But I'm just kind of curious of like, if you had one thing that you could kind of immediately say, I'm going to fix this what area would you want to immediately look at and say, this is where the change needs to happen first? I think I would say broadcast in terms of like the pace and power. Cause it happened yesterday. Was it? Yeah, it was yesterday when Liverpool was playing. And I know, I know we're talking about, we're not talking about men's soccer right now, but they did this, <laughs> <laughs> the same thing with Divock Origi. And they were like, uh, oh, she's so physical. And then, and I'm just like, even it doesn't matter. I don't know. It's just it's just so frustrating because we're like, oh, that's what all he has. Like me and my husband watching, we're like, oh, that's all that's all he has. Like, but um, I think broadcast because that more people are list- like more people. How many millions of people are watching that versus like mm-hmm. half a million? I'm mean, half a million, one million are watching reading your recap. Um, specifically talking about you, Meg. Yeah, reading that's that's a little higher than what is actually happening. I, mean, I will tell you that but- my numbers are not that good. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was thinking about this in terms of like um, they're talking about um, coaches in like lack of like diversity of coaches. But I'm like, if you don't think a player has the mental IQ, the uh, mental ability, how are you going to how is that going to change when he becomes wants to become a coach or when she wants to become a coach is what I really meant. So I'm like how like that all affects how players are talked about like the youth like youth cultures are t- totally watching premier league or totally watching the nwsl i think it, it it all starts when they're younger but especially if an nwsl player is like okay next year i want to become a coach if no one thinks she has like the brains to do it i don't think mm-hmm. that's gonna open the door for her or it's gonna be much harder for her to become a coach because no one thinks she's smart enough so i right. mean naturally I think print in like written media, I think we definitely have like to check ourselves in terms of like, why do we naturally think, Oh, I'm just getting aggravated all over again. I was thinking about when Katoto got left off the French world cup roster and they were talking about, she had an attitude and I'm like, wow, <laughs> this is like <laughs> the extremely coded language. <laughs> like, right. <laughs> and there's definitely not as many people covering French women's soccer as like American, but it's just like, mm-hmm. So yeah. I think it's yep. it's levels, but I think first, if I had to pick, definitely broadcast because way more people are watching that and then repeating mm-hmm. it too. Because I definitely mm-hmm. repeat. I'm like, oh, this like tactical thing that I really yeah. am not 100% sure. I'm like, what is Allie Wagner saying about... <laughs> okay, whatever Allie's that. saying, that's my opinion too. Yeah. Yes. So like, I definitely <laughs> do that too. So I know that would change. That would change a lot, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, for Crystal too, I mean, I think that, Obviously, she has so much versatility, right? Like, for me, if I had to pick a spot for Crystal Dunn to play on the field, it would not be left back, right? I want basically the entire offense of any team that features Crystal Dunn to be run around 
crystal done, right? That is my preferred state of soccer in general. Like, I think that is just how everyone should operate. But I mean, I think even when you're talking about, okay, she has pace, sure. But like, talk about the skill that it takes to make a recovery if someone beats you down. Like, there are so many different levels to it beyond just she's fast or she can make a tackle, right? Like, what is the mental, like, what is the actual geography on the field of having to make a recovery when you have to track back? And that's really where, okay, part of it too is that I think with women's soccer, the coverage is still so, like the infrastructure isn't quite there. So we tend to just rely on, okay, well, we don't really know a lot about teams from Africa, right? Like we're not watching games because they're not accessible. So it's just you you rely on, okay, I know like these four facts about this team. That's all I got. And then we're gonna we're just gonna start saying some things because I have nothing else to say about them. Was it Cameroon, England? Cameroon, yep. That was like yep. the worst. I mean, the World Cup, I'm honestly, mo- half of it was really awful. I like stress purchased. <laughs> a jer- that was when I stress purchased the Casey Shore jersey. But okay. it Valid. was just, it was just awful. Okay, honestly, I have feelings about England in general. I do feel like the U- England and the U.S. are the same place, which is why I don't like England. <laughs> and Phil Neville, just awful. But I think not even just the optics of like the way it was covered, but then like when you add on top of this, like the colonizer aspect of this, I'm like, there's just so much, so much, there's more so much coded say. language happened. And that's what isn't even coded. It was just like, think of the children, right? Like the physicality immediately became, is this what we want our, our delicate white babies to be watching because they might play soccer? Like it was just, <laughs> It was a lot. It was, it was a lot. That is that is a game that we don't. We also don't talk enough about how the react. Like I think there was definitely there was the initial reaction, then the blowback to the reaction, you know, and then it just kind of went away forever, and no mm-hmm. one has ever really brought it back. Wow, the reaction of this game was actively very not good, and why is that? And how do we break that down? And obviously, like neither of us are in. English women's soccer media, so we have no <laughs> real say to that, but there there really was. That was I I just got like war flashbacks to World Cup and, and looking on Twitter. I will say I have started I think since then, um I have been trying to have more like a global mindset to like women's soccer or women's football. I Depending on the day, I guess is what I say. But just so like when something like that happens, I feel like uh, more comfortable or more like I can actually talk about it more because, yeah, that was just it's, it's, it's really aggravating to have like such strong feelings about something and not be able to find the words about why. But you know why. But you have to have the words and the facts to back it up, because if you don't have proof or examples, it's kind of like, well, she's just because she's a black lady but yeah so that's that kind of changed I will say that kind of changed my perception of like how I look at the game and like I definitely have like more of a or been working to have more of a global mindset all right so let's let's bring it back to America last last chunk what what are you planning for for challenge cup coverage I want to know but also I want to know what you're looking forward to challenge cup if you have a, a sleeper pick or you're ready to like call who's going to win it all. But I just want to know what your the next month of your life looks like when it comes to women's soccer. Well, it's going to be chaos. I'm excited, though, because I'm trying to uh, 
freelance more, which I've actually been getting a lot more opportunities, which I'm like, yes, because it's weird. As soon as I said it, I told somebody, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to freelance, cover women's soccer. And then like all these opportunities came, which is like so grateful. Um, but I'm trying to freelance and cover. Um, I want to write a lot of more features. Um, I'm definitely into more of a features person, but also I've been trying to like learn more like the history of like, especially with like the leagues that like I need, like you've been covering the breakers, <laughs> but like, I like all like the yeah. stuff from like WBSA and WPS. Like I'm trying to like get more into that in like right, the history right. part. Um, but I'm really excited about my sleeper pick because I put a lot of thought into this because I'm thinking naturally, I think North Carolina, they're just too deep. And I hate it to say this, but I could never pick Portland. I just can't do it. It's not within me, but North Carolina is just so deep. And then they bring in like Allie Watt and Haley Mace who yeah. have experience. And then the rookies who are solid, though I don't know how much they're going to play, but I'm, they're just, and then Paul Riley, you know, now they have all this chaos, you know, he's going to have a great speech. <laughs> I am so excited. <laughs> <laughs> and then, but my, whatever the North Carolina hashtag is, you know, and I hope it gets revealed actually like the underdog or like what he says, because I mean, this environment is ripe for like, a good a good speech but my sleeper pick mm -hmm. is more of sky blue and i thought about this because not only do they not have the chaos of like having like a uh like a club in turmoil but they're bringing all these pieces in like people that were traded or like and that now pew trade is just like i still am like i wonder how she's gonna react to that like girl go off if you want to i'm here for it <laughs> but and then, but I think with me, why I picked him was McCall Zerboni. I think having that, like, I feel like she's going to be like that glue, no matter what state she's in, that glue and that, like, she's, I mean, I'm just, just thinking about her, like getting them excited and like getting them like ready to kick ass. Like yeah. I'm, yeah. that's why I'm viewing it. That's why I thought way too much about this, but I really think they're either going to like, I think they're just going to surprise some people because tired of being like, I think it's, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be them, but all right. Gotta get through North Carolina. I mean, you're you're really going after me with the McCall's or Boney pick as as a noted McCall's or Boney fan. So Look, I'm just I'm yeah. just here. I'm yeah. just here. Yeah, <laughs> I am worried about Utah though <laughs> because no press. I'm like they're like a different they're a whole different team when she's not there. So I actually am yeah. concerned about them. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Amy Rodriguez, A, really needs to step up, but I also am hoping that she really brings the, like, really angry mom energy that she brought to that one game against Portland with Emily Sonnet. Like, she has to be at that level of energy for a solid month if Utah is going to succeed. And, I mean, I think she's capable of it. We have seen it. She basically, I think, single-handedly sunk Portland Thorns' entire 2019 season, but they're going to need that energy, so... You know, I'm going to look forward to that because I'm actually, I believe in her. That was, oh, you know what? Thank you for reminding me about that. I believe in her. All right. Anything else before we wrap this up that you want us to keep an eye out for? Where can we follow you? Where where can we find your work? Well, I am all over the place in terms of work. I will have stuff in all four eleven. Um, hopefully soon in other different places. But to find me, I'm at Bria Felician on Twitter and at Lucy taught me on Instagram, which is L-U-S-I-A taught me. So 
Yeah, but thank you for having me. This is fun. All right. Thank you so much, Sabria, for joining us. It was a really great talk. And I think one that I want to keep having, you know, as much as we possibly can. So before we go, I've got one more thing for you. Obviously, again, it's been an absurd week in the world of women's soccer, but there's one really shining bit of good news. CBS, who is the rights holder uh, for the NWSL in America, has hired Sandra Herrera to lead their NWSL editorial coverage, and she's already been writing, and she's made her video debut, and so she's now an official member of the Ring Light Gang. Um, I definitely recommend following her on Twitter to ensure that you catch all of her coverage at CBS. You can follow her at at Sand Herrera underscore. So that's at S-A-N-D-H-E-R-R-E-R-A underscore. Don't worry, I will tweet her kind of relentlessly during this tournament, but she's a great follow. So that's a wrap on the first episode of Full Time with Meg Linehan. You know, again, this is just part of our extensive coverage of the NWSL, women's soccer at The Athletic. We have a lot more. We have a tournament guide for you. We have a whole bunch of features still hitting this week. And next, I'll be writing pretty much every single game day of the Challenge Cup. So there will be plenty more. Um, thank you to for, for joining me this first episode. Thank you again to Ali and Bria for being generous with their time and, and being willing to be our first interviews for this podcast. Um, Thanks for your understanding also that this week went in a direction that none of us expected. So I hope you stick around for the next one and we'll be back with a new episode next week. If you liked our first episode, again, we hope that you subscribe. You can always follow us on the athletic site and app, plus wherever else you might get your podcasts, you know, Apple, Spotify, your platform of choice. If you really liked it, you can also leave us a review, rate the show uh, that will help us find some new listeners too. And don't forget, we're running a 40% discount offer for new annual subscriptions to celebrate the launch of the show and obviously the return of the NWSL. So you can sign up at theathletic.com slash full time. Again, that's that offer is up at theathletic.com slash full time. You can find all of my women's soccer coverage on The Athletic and follow me on Twitter at it's Meg Linehan. Our podcast producer is Michael Zimmerman. And as a special shout out to my editors, Alex Abnos and Brooks Peck, and the rest of the team at the Soccer Vertical and really everyone else who has supported this journey, which has been many, many months to get the show up and running. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan. Thank you. Thank you.